I really wanted to be standing here like this when the lights came on, but thought that might be too much. <laughs> Somebody tried that on the playground, though, when you were little, didn't you? You got in a little scuffle on the playground. Who was it? Somebody in here, you tried it on somebody. I'll be honest. Yeah, there he is, right there, that guy. Um, so anyway, uh, I show that because um, I'm kind of weird, but I think, I think a lot in images and analogies and and I was thinking about kind of where we are as a church, and we've been talking about kind of this transition for a long time. We're talking about um, really seeing some things change in the church and, and the way we do things and trying to get more people involved and um, seeing the church function in a more biblical way. And, and we've had a lot of people asking questions. They've been good questions, right? And um, uh, their people are excited, but they're like, what does this look like? What's it going to be? I mean, when, you know, what, what, tell, me, tell me everything. And the thing about it is that we're not going to be able in one setting, in one time, or even in a month or two months, be able to see the whole thing, um, you know, in that amount of time. It's going to take time to roll all this out. It's going to take time to get this right. We want to take our time to make sure we get this right. Um, and, and so as we look at this, it made me think about those scenes because, you know, Daniel's son, he's thinking he's just doing all this stuff, right? And, uh, and, but Mr. Miyagi had a plan. Now, I'm not saying I'm Mr. Miyagi. Um, I'm not saying God's Mr. Miyagi. But I am saying that as we walk through this and we see the pieces of it coming together, we're going to get to a place where it begins to make more sense, okay, where we begin to see it more clearly. But, but it's going to take patience. And we're going to um, need to, to walk this out, again, taking our time, being patient, getting it right, getting the parts in place. Um, and, and I believe when we get to that place where it all begins to come together, it's going to be absolutely incredible. Um, and I do want to tell you the two goals that I feel like the Lord has given us um, and given them very clearly um, in his word. One of those is that we, as a church, we, the body, we become mature in Christ. Um, we grow up in him. When Paul's writings, he wrote constantly about growing to maturity. He uses that a lot. Uh, it seems to be Paul's main goal for the church was that the church would add numbers, yes, but that they would grow to maturity. And so we want to see that happen. The second thing is that we want to see a shift from this, what we've been calling this pastoral system or, or this biblical, um, pastoral model to a biblical model. And I think we have the slide. You've seen this if you've been here the last few weeks. Um, I'm not going to go all back through it, but, but I want you to see it again. Um, if you don't, haven't been here when we've talked about this, I, I'd love for you to go back and listen to the messages where we did talk about this. But the one on the left, the one that I feel like the church as a whole is in right now, is really a pastoral model or a staff model where everything is built on the staff. We've got to transition to the one where the body is being the body, where people are being developed and they're equipping other people for the work of ministry so that we get to this place where every part does its work. Um, we get out of this mindset that the paid professionals are the ones who do it. We're all called to be a part of the body. We're all called um, to be a part of advancing God's kingdom in the world. And so um, that's the other goal is transitioning from this to the other. Um, I believe that the one on the right, as we move into that, is going to be um, pretty incredible to see. And so those are the two goals. Going to take time to get to that place. Um, that doesn't happen overnight. 
But I do believe God will get us there. I believe he will finish what he started. He tells us that in his word. And so um, I'm, I'm excited about it. I know some of you are, and we're going to get there. And as we see this picture, I believe it'll be pretty incredible. Now, if we zoom in for a second, we got another slide on the foundation on the left. The last couple of weeks, I've talked about how uh, I feel like there's some foundations in this or some cracks in the foundation in that pastoral model also that we need to deal with. Those three things that I think we need to deal with as a church are one that in a lot of cases we haven't heard a real clear call to what it means to follow Jesus. Um, we, haven't, we don't understand many times that um, being a Christian or being a disciple or a follower of Jesus aren't two different things. They're one and the same thing. If I'm a Christian, I'm a follower. It means I'm following him with my life. Um, and so we want to address that. The second one is that there's no clear call to the body of Christ. The third one is that there's no clear call many times to Jesus's mission. And so we're going to visit each of these three things. First, today, we're going to continue looking at this clear call to follow Jesus. Um, and I spelled that wrong, follower. I don't know what follower is, but follower of Jesus. Um, and so we're going to look and we're going to answer four questions over the next four weeks. The first one is, who is he, really? Um, and, and really looking at that, we, we've got to come to a clear and firm understanding of who Jesus is to us, what we believe about him. Uh, the second one is, what am I seeking or why would I follow? The third one is, what will it cost me? And then the fourth one is, is it worth it? And so we're going to be answering those questions the next um, few weeks, and, and I'm not going to just attempt to answer them for you. These are questions you have to answer for yourself. Um, I want to guide us through some of this and try to lay out, um, you know, what, what Jesus says and what Scripture says, but ultimately it's something you have to answer these questions for yourself. What we believe about him or what we think about him doesn't change who he is, but we have to decide um, how we approach him, how we see him, how we respond to him. All right, so I want to pray for us. We're going to go through a lot of scripture today. And so I want to pray for us. We'll get going with this. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. God, I thank you that you are living. You speak. God, I pray right now that your spirit would speak to us through your truth, God, through your word. God, open our eyes to see more clearly who you are. And God, I pray that today and, and, and maybe even through this week and coming days as we process this, God, that you would become more clear to us, that our lives would become an accurate response, a more accurate response for all of us, God, to who you are. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you for Jesus, the power of the Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. So. How many of you, and, and I think about this kind of as we answer this question today, how many of you, um, you've had this experience, I'm sure probably a lot of you, most of you have, but you get a text, and regardless of what the text says, um, you just get the number at the top, right? There's no name. It's not in your contact, so you just get the number. How many of you feel very awkward when that happens, especially like if it's something that requires a response because you don't know who you're responding to? And then I kind of get in this dilemma of like, do I just, am I just honest and tell them like, who is this? I don't know, I don't have this number. Or are they gonna feel like, wow, I have, have his number. He doesn't have my number. He doesn't like me, you know, and, and things like that. And so um, you kind of get in this, this moment where you're like, who is this? And what, 
you know, who, who, who is texting me and asking me these questions and things like that. And so as we look at the Bible, um, obviously they didn't text back then. But the thing I will tell you about um, when Jesus walked the earth is there were tons and tons of people who were asking the question, who is he? Uh, there were tons of people asking this question, who is Jesus? Today, there are still tons and tons of people who are asking the question, who is Jesus? Whether consciously or subconsciously, many people have wrestled with that question, are still wrestling with that question. Um, I want you to see this in Scripture, and I really want us to, to take our time in this and realize how important the answer to this question, who is Jesus, is. I would tell you that this is the most important question you'll ever answer. It's more important than what school you're going to go to, what job you're going to have, um, how you're going to raise your children, um, who you're going to marry, what kind of husband or wife you're going to be, how long you're going to live. It's more important than all of those because it impacts all of those. This is the most important question we're ever going to answer um, in this life. Look first, if you will, at Matthew, the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. Um, in this, uh, we're going to be flipping a lot, Matthew, chapter 8. I, again, want to encourage you, bring a Bible. We're going to use them every week. Bring them with you. I'd encourage you to bring something to write with. You can put it in your phone if you want to, whatever. But hopefully there's something that I say that the Lord pricks your heart with, and you can put that down. Go back and process that, internalize that throughout the next week. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other, or else we're not doing much here. Take time to sit in it. Spend time in it. Go back and study it yourself, but spend time in it. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. I would love to have the problem of every week we're ordering Bibles because there's so many people coming in who don't have them but want to get into and be reading God's Word. So let, let's do this. Let's take this seriously. But first off, Matthew, the very first gospel, the very first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 23, Jesus has just shared a little about what it means to follow him and the cost of that. But we get to Matthew 8, 23, it says this, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a fur furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So we see one instance here where Jesus um, calms the wind and the waves, and the disciples are amazed, and they, they're asking this question, what kind of man is this? Who is this that can speak to the wind, that can speak to the waves? And they calm. Another one is in Matthew chapter 16. We actually looked at these verses not too long ago, but I want to read them again. Jesus has just been in some pretty tense discussion with Pharisees and uh, some of these religious leaders. And in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? And we look at that again. Here, Jesus is posing this question. 
he's asking this question. Most of the people he encountered because of the teaching, because of the miracles, because of the signs and wonders, um, the, the way he lived his life, they came to this point of asking, who is he? Is he more than a man? Um, what, what's he here for? Um, and, and exactly who is this guy that, that we call Jesus? And so we need to look at this and begin to see. I want you to see some of the lines of thought of people who were in Scripture or we read about in Scripture that were living in his day because what we're going to see is some of the questions that they had are still some of the same questions and thoughts that, that we have today. And so now flip over to the last gospel, the gospel of John, a fourth book in the New Testament, and let's, let's begin to look at this. John chapter 3, verse 1. You can flip there if you have your Bible or get there on your phone, whatever. It says in John chapter 3, verse 1, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And so this man, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He was on the ruling council. He was a pretty big deal uh, to the Jews. He was making a lot of decisions along with the other pe members of this ruling council. Um, and, and so he was a pretty big deal. He comes to Jesus at night. He begins to ask him who he is. And, and at this point, Nicodemus has come to the conclusion that at least, at the least, Jesus is a teacher, a teacher who's come from God. And, and so when we look at that, we, we go on through Scripture. Nicodemus, um, we know, grew in his association with Christ. We don't know if he uh, for sure if he became a disciple of Jesus. But what we do know is that he saw him here as a teacher. There are a lot of people in the world today who think of Jesus that way. Uh, we think he was a good teacher. He taught things that were wise. Some people um, see him as a, a great philosopher. He had a great way of approaching life, a great way of, of looking at life and and, and explaining life. And so he becomes a philosopher to people. Um, and, and so we see people even in this day who approached him and saw him that way. Now go to John chapter 7, just a few chapters over. John chapter 7, verse 12. Jesus goes up to a festival. It's called the Festival of Tabernacles. And he gets there and he's not yet teaching, but, but people are recognizing, you know, who he is. And at this festival, even though he has not really come out and revealed himself there, they're, they're whispering about him. It says in verse 12, among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he is a good man. A lot of people think that, right? Jesus is a good man and he lived a good life. In fact, most people would say if we could emulate the life of Jesus, the world would be a better place. He was such a good man. But then look at this, the next part of that verse. Others replied, no, he deceives people. And so here's this divide. He was, he's a good man, which people think. And now others, he deceives people. And so again, they're wrestling with this person of Christ. Um, move on now to John 7, 41. Verse 41 there. Jesus still at this festival. Now he's begun to preach and teach to them. 
It says in verse 37, let's back up to there. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. So now we see another idea about who Jesus is, a prophet, one who has been sent by God to um, tell us the word of God and explain the word of God. And it says in verse 41, others said he is the Messiah, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who God was going to send to be the savior and rescuer and restorer of Israel. Some of them have come to that conclusion. He, he is the Messiah. We know in Matthew 16, um, when Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am, that Peter responded that you're the son of God. So people are coming to these different conclusions. They're making up their mind in different ways. This one's pretty interesting. Go now back to uh, Mark, right there, the second book there in the New Testament. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, um, verse 20 is where we'll start. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat, so there's crowds everywhere. When his family uh, heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. His own family thought he was crazy. How many of y'all are that person in your family? Yeah, me too, me too. So he's crazy. He's out of his mind. So his own family thinks he's out of his mind at this point. It is interesting later that they would come to faith. We know that James, Jesus' brother, or half-brother, if you want to say it that way, wrote the book of James. And so we look at that, and, and that's pretty incredible. But at this point, they think he's crazy. Um, Mark three twenty two. So not only do they think he's crazy, but it says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So now he's not only a deceiver, but he's working for Satan, right? He's, he's doing good things through the power of Satan. And so they're, they're again, making assumptions, um, drawing conclusions about who he is. The last one. John chapter 6 now, going back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, verse 66 is where we're going to start. I saw the 666, and it kind of freaked me out, but I think we'll be okay. It says, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. What's going on? And we're going to see this in a minute. Uh, Jesus is teaching about how he is the bread of life, and he's trying to get them to see that he is the one the Father has sent to to give them life and to satisfy their souls and give them eternal life. And so he, he tells them, though, in one of his comments, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, you, know, you can't be my disciple. You, you have no part with me. And so we can look in hindsight and go, all right, eat my flesh, drink my blood, communion, right? We see it that way. But think about the people who were there originally. He's like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They're like, we're out of here, right? And so a lot of them leave um, and, and they quit following him. Here's what I love about Jesus. When they begin to leave, he doesn't like chase after them, right? He just looks at his disciples and he goes, you do not want to leave too, do you? 
he asked the 12. Simon Peter, listen to how Simon Peter answered him. He seems to always be the spokesman. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so when we look at this, this is pretty remarkable to see the spectrum of how people saw Jesus, isn't it? I mean, and really a lot of the ways that people still see him today. And so he could be a good man, a teacher, a philosopher, a prophet, um, Beelzebub, you know, Satan. He could be a deceiver. He could be so many different things. He could be the Holy One, the Messiah, the Anointed One who was sent to save, restore, heal Israel, to heal God's people. And so people see him in a lot of different ways. I want to look now at this, though. Who did Jesus claim to be? Who did Jesus claim to be? And this is important. Let's see who Jesus describes himself to be. If you go, and, and we're not going to turn there, but in Exodus chapter 3, uh, most of you have probably heard of Moses and how he went and told Pharaoh to let his people go. Well, when Moses was called to go to Pharaoh, uh, Moses was pretty nervous about that. Uh, you can go read about that in Exodus, uh, the beginning of Exodus, Exodus 3 there on. And so Moses says, well, God, if I go, then who do I tell them sent me? And God tells him, basically, tell them that I am sent you. And there's a lot to what, Moses, or what God meant when he told Moses um, to tell them that I am sent you. A lot of people say it means I am what I need to be or who I need to be for you at any given time. But the thing that I do know is and believe is that Jesus... Um, in the Gospel of John, it's recorded many of Jesus' statements, and in this, Jesus reveals and gives a greater description and clarity of what God meant by the saying that I am, that tell them I am sent you. And in the Gospel of John, there's seven I am statements that Jesus mentions, that he states, okay, that he, he talks about. And I want us to go to those. I want us to look through those quickly. I want us just to see Jesus's claims about himself. Now remember this, when Jesus says, I am blank, he is not um, unaware of what happened with Moses. He, when he says this, he is making a direct claim to deity, to being God. He's not saying it, trying to just say, I am this, I am that. He is saying, listen, I am the I am, and the I am is this. This is who I am, okay? So John chapter 6, let's stay there for a second. Jesus is teaching them. He's talking to them. They begin to talk about the bread from heaven, the manna that God gave them, the Israelites through Moses. Jesus is telling them that he's the true bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In verse 34, they say, sir, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What is Jesus saying in this? Well, in the Bible, bread is a, is a spiritual symbol. 
And what Jesus is trying to tell them is that what I'm going to give you, what I'm going to do for you, if you come to me, I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you something that's so much better than manna that came down from heaven, fed you for a day and was gone, but you still died. What I'm going to do and what I'm going to offer and what you can receive by faith, by trust, by belief in me is going to be so powerful and so good, it's going to give you eternal life. Not only that, but it's going to satisfy the deepest hunger in your soul. You're going to quit chasing after all these things and realize that who you are is not defined by what you own, but it's defined by me and being in me. And I'm going to satisfy you to the deepest measure that you could be satisfied. Not only that, but this bread is going to give you eternal life and the resurrection power of Jesus living in you. And so Jesus states that only he can give this bread, this source of eternal life, this source of satisfaction, this source of power for living. He goes on in John 8, John 8. Jesus makes this statement in verse 12. He says, it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in the first I am statement, I am the bread of life. He says, listen, I'm the one who gives eternal life, who satisfies, who gives you power for living. And in John 8, 12, he says, I'm the light of the world. Well, what did he do as the light of the world? Well, he came into the world. John 1 tells us he came into the world and really he exposed the world um, as the light, it was good from the standpoint of we look at Jesus and we see what humanity was intended to be. We look at Jesus and we see who God is. Remember Hebrews 1.3 where he talks about being the express image of God, the exact radiance of his glory. So Jesus comes, we see who he is, who God is. But not, not only that, but he became the standard for our lives. We see who we were intended to be. And so he was the standard. We look at him. I have a friend who the other day, we've always joked about him. Um, he's always joked about being, he's like, what if you get to heaven and I'm Jesus? If you, if you know him and you know what I'm talking about, he'd be like, you'd be like me. You'd be like, I don't know everything in the Bible, but what I know is you ain't Jesus, right? And so I'm like, I told him, I said, if you and Jesus stood side by side, no confusion, all right? And so, and, and it's the same for all of us, though. If Jesus is the standard, we don't measure up. So not only is Jesus the standard, Jesus is also the scale by which our lives are weighed. And it made me think about, if you go read um, the book of Daniel, chapter 5, um, Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, he's translating some dreams that he had. He tells him, your life has been weighed and you've in the balances and you've been found wanting. Your life is wanting. And, and we're all in that place where Jesus' life and our life, it doesn't match up. So Jesus is the standard, but he's also the scales which we're measured by. But the good thing about Jesus is he doesn't stop there. That wouldn't be good news if that's where it stopped. He's also paid the price to make the balance right. He covered what was lacking through his life and death, through his resurrection, he covered what's lacking. And so Jesus here is saying, look, I'm the light of the world. I expose the good and the bad. I'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm the standard, I'm the scale, but I'm also the payment. I'm covering what's lacking in your life so that you can have life. John chapter 10. Now, let's look at verse 9. In this, Jesus is using um, really sheep and a shepherd to help them understand more about who he is. He talks about the sheep listening to and hearing his voice. And then in verse 7, he says this, very truly I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. Some translations say door. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. He says, I am the gate in verse 9. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. What's he telling us? He's saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm the, the, the one in who, through whom you come into the kingdom of God. I'm the entryway in. He's talking about the sheep. What are the sheep? That's us. That's the followers. That's the ones um, who've come to follow him, put their faith in him, trust in him, who are following him, just like sheep would a shepherd. He says, listen, if, if you come to me, I'm the entryway, the door, the gate into the sheepfold, into this kingdom. He tells us not only that, but he says, you come in and, and you'll go in, you'll go out. What's he telling us? That there's freedom in him. But it's not freedom to do what we want. It's finally being free to do what we were created for. And he goes on and he tells us that we'll find good pasture through him. And what's he saying in that? He's telling us that we'll find the nourishment for our souls. We'll find the food that we need for satisfaction in him. If you go on in verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he's comparing now the shepherd and a hireling or someone you just hire to come watch the sheep. And what he's saying is, listen, if you just hire somebody to come watch the sheep and a wolf comes, they're out of here. They're not gonna lay down their life for the sheep, but the shepherd, because he loves the sheep, he's gonna lay down his life. What's he telling us in this one? I am the shepherd. I am the one who's going to lay down his life for you. In this, we see this substitution that Jesus did for us. He, he took our place. He laid down his life. He died. He gave up his life so we could have life. He says, this is what I'm here for. This is who I am. The shepherd who comes to lay it all down for you. We know elsewhere Jesus tells them, he says, listen, no one can take my life from me, but I'm willingly giving it over for you. I'm the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says this, speaking to Martha, whom her brother Lazarus was, has died and Jesus is going to raise him, but speaking to her, um, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? We look at this where he makes this statement, I'm the resurrection and the life. It made me think about Ephesians chapter two, verse one, where Paul wrote this to the Ephesian church. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. What's he talking about? Spiritually, we were dead. Spiritually, we had no life. And, and yet Jesus comes as the resurrection and the life. What did Jesus do when we put our faith in him? The bread of life brings us to life. 
He gives us the same resurrection power. We go from death to life. Our sins, our transgressions are swallowed up in him and life comes. The question I would have for you in this is he is the resurrection. He is the one that makes us alive spiritually. And we, and we look at this. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that apart from him, you're dead spiritually? You have no life in you. But in him, you find life. You come to life. Have you experienced that resurrection power of Jesus? John 14, 6, he makes this claim. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is Thomas asking him. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Jesus has been telling him about his father's house, how there would be a place for them with the father, with him. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. What's he telling us about himself here? He's saying, look, I'm not just the gate. I'm not just the door that you come into the kingdom into with the other sheep, but I'm also the way that you come to the Father. I'm the way. If you come through me, I, I, you will be in the Father's presence. So not only am I the way, the door, the gate into the kingdom, but I'm the way to the Father. I'm, I'm not only the way, but I'm the truth. I'm the truth that guides you to the Father. And not only am I the truth that guides you, but I'm the life that comes from the Father. And listen, when we, we see this, it made me think again about John chapter 17, where Jesus tells us that eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing his Son. And so we come to faith. Here's a remarkable thing. We don't wait until we die and take our last breath here on earth to experience eternal life. We enter eternal life at the moment of faith. We know the Father. We're in his presence. He's in us. We're in him. The bread of life has brought me to life. The light of the world has, has made me right with God. He's shown me the standard. He's shown me my, my error, my, my shortcomings. But he paid the price and bridged the gap. He brought me into the sheepfold, into the kingdom of God, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He laid down his life so I, all of this could happen. He's the resurrection and the life. John 15, 1 is the last one. In this, he says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He goes on and says, listen, if you abide in me, if you cling to me, if you walk with me, you follow me, listen, you will produce fruit in your life the evidence of God in you. So in this, he's telling us though, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you're gonna wither and die. But he says, in me, in me, you have life. He's telling us in this, listen, I'm not only the source of life and the one who gives you life, I'm the one who sustains life. Cling to me. So we see some pretty remarkable claims about Jesus, every one of them being a statement of being God. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, the gate. I am the good shepherd and the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine. Jesus makes all of these claims. And again, I'll tell you this, Jesus is, he is who he says he is, no matter 
how we approach him, what we think about him, or what we believe about him, but it's just like me. I am who I am regardless of what you think or how you treat me or whatever. What we think and how we believe him is, doesn't change the reality of who he is, but we have to wrestle with this. We have to ask ourselves this question and not just flippantly blow by it and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, listen, listen, listen. We've already stated this, that a Christian is a follower. And see, here's the thing. If for us, for each of us, if Jesus is just a good man, if, if Jesus is a teacher, if Jesus is just a philosopher, if Jesus is just a prophet, if he's the devil, if he's deceiving, if that's all Jesus is, then respond to him however you want to. Like approach him however you want, right? But here's the thing. If we believe that he is who he claims to be and not crazy, because he either is who he claims to be or he's crazy. Nobody makes those claims and they're not true and they're not crazy. Like if I came to you and I'm like, I'm the way to the Father. If you'll eat my flesh, drink my blood, you got it. You'd be like, he has lost his mind. But when we look at this and see this, man, listen, we've got to really decide is Jesus who he claims to be? Because if he is, and that's who I believe him to be, then I, there, there are serious implications to this, and they're good implications. It's the good news. But if he is all these things that just in these seven, verse, or seven verses he claims to be, then wouldn't even the most simple, the most, just, a, just a simple reasonable person see him as worthy of all of our life just a simple reasonable person see him as worthy of all of our lives in light of who he is and what he's done just in those seven statements a simple reasonable person would see him as worthy of all of our life that's worship all of our life it's not just coming in and singing worship is when we're living for him. Our devotion is for him. Wouldn't a simple, reasonable person go, you know what? I want to turn from my ways. I want to turn to him because he's the one who has life. He's the one with the words of eternal life, the truth. Wouldn't a simple, reasonable person look at this and go, I want to turn from my way and turn to his way. See, that is repentance. A reasonable, a simple-minded person would look at who Jesus is and say this, that I should give him all of my allegiance, my complete allegiance, all of my heart and mind and soul and strength. He deserves all of that. And see, that is surrender. A reasonable person would look at this and recognize his authority and humble themselves 
under his direction and the direction of his word. Not because I have to, but because I see that he's the resurrection and the life. He's the bread of life. He's the one who's come to give life. And so I want to follow his direction. I want to walk with him. I want to be obedient to his word. Why? Because those are the words of eternal life. Those are the words of life. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is life. That's called submission. If I understand that he did all of this, listen, if I understand that he did all of this, failed at none of it, willingly as the good shepherd laid down his life to accomplish what he has accomplished, if I understand this, would I not reasonably say I can put the full weight of my life on him? Trust him with the fullness of my life. See, that's faith. If I believe and I know that he is all of these things, then what does he deserve? deserves my all. What's he getting? What's he getting? See, this is part of that first crack in the foundation. If we don't come to a good conclusion, a firm conclusion of who he is, We're never going to get that foundation right. So I want us to spend time this week. I, I hope, I hope you took something, wrote it down. I hope you'll spend some time internalizing it, processing it, thinking about it. I hope it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. I hope you have ears to hear. I, I, I do. I, I pray that God speaks to all of us, myself included. But I want to encourage you to wrestle with it. Ask that question. It's the most important question we'll ever answer. It has huge implications. And then think about our response. I'd, I'd encourage you to spend time. Go back, read those scriptures yourself. Spend time in them. Spend time with God. Let him reveal more of himself to you.